Every sermon I write, I instinctively think, how is God's word challenging me to start with to be a more faithful disciple of Jesus Christ? Now, while Psalm 40 has a lot of issues and a lot of questions are raised, this morning we're simply going to focus on this point. The journey of life, the journey through life as a disciple of Jesus. The journey through life as a disciple of Jesus. Now, broadly speaking, the psalm has, has two parts. Writing about a past trouble and writing about a current trouble. A fun fact, the second part of the psalm is very similar to Psalm 70. Kind of an interesting, unique thing about these two psalms. So uh, we're simply today the journey through life as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I want to show you our journey. Uh, here it is. Uh, so this is how we're going to approach this psalm. And uh, this basically is a result of my own meditating um, on these words uh, for actually for a while, uh, for a while now. Uh, we begin with my cry and God's answer. Now, what are the psalmist's actions? First off, right out of the gate, I waited patiently. How many of you just, just enjoy waiting patiently? I'm like, really, we have this kind of challenge, and we haven't even gotten into the psalm yet, and it's talking about patience. As a young man, I found areas of impatience in my life, and so I really prayed about this and uh, sought God that God's fruit of patience, patience would grow in me, and I saw progress. I grew in patience. And then what happened? I got married. Now, you're thinking, you know, this is not anything about my wife. This is just the fact of the matter. Two humans living together, okay? So I prayed for patience. I grew in patience. And then what happened? I had children. I love my children, but these, these little humans, and as they grow to big humans, I my, yay, they challenge your patience. Then I grew in patience, and what happened? I became a teacher. <laughs> grew in patience, and then what happened? I taught middle schoolers after lunch. <laughs> now, friends, I love my middle school students. If you're here, amen. We had a wonderful time together. However, there's an odd thing about humanity. Among humans, all humans, children and adults, they all get sleepy after lunch except for one subgroup. This is middle school students. They're not tired, they are wired. And uh, while I loved having them in class, oh my, I was cowboy before shepherd, um, patience. So the psalmist here, this is quite something. I waited patiently, and what did the psalmist do? Says, I cried to God. I cried to God. Simply put, there was a need. The psalmist was honest about the need, and the psalmist said, I am helpless without you. Kind of desperate on this one, crying out to God. Now, what was the problem? The problem was a slimy pit, mud, and mire. Point is, the problems, the troubles that, well, David, the author here, was involved in, 
he kept falling down. He kept getting stuck. He was helpless. Thus, his cry out to God out of his troubles. So, here is the psalmist waiting patiently, crying out to God because of uh, the helplessness of his situation. And what is God's response? Look at the verbs, the verbs, what God did. God turned, heard, lifted, set, and gave. God acted for his child to help and to save and deliver. God set his feet on a rock so that his life was on steady ground. Now, what are the discipleship lessons we can learn from this? Discipleship lessons. First, we need to trust in God, and we cannot set the timetable for how God is going to respond. We can't set the conditions. Lord, you must do it this way for me now. That's actually not trusting in God. That's demanding of God. So discipleship lesson one, trust in God. Number two, this story here is about a past trouble, and David is writing about it. So I would like us to be challenged this way. All of you in this room that are older, it is very important for you to share stories of how you were in troubles and you experienced God's faithfulness, to share those stories to the younger generation. They need to hear them. It will help strengthen their faith. Instantly, you will have, in a sense, a mentor role. Uh, so this discipleship lesson is uh, for those who are older, you need to reflect on your life, and God wants you to share stories of his faithfulness in tough times and how God brought you through those. And then third lesson, when it talks about a rock, well, Jesus is our rock. We look to Jesus, we trust in Jesus. Jesus is our all in all. My cry, God's answer. Second, my song God's presence. Verse three talks about a new song in my mouth, a new song. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean, and now I'm going to write new lyrics and a new melody, I have a new song. I mean, it could mean that, but it also means because of the situation you are in, when you sing, you sing from a new perspective of God's faithfulness. Let me tell you a story about a powerful worship experience that my wife and I had several years ago, and uh, we were not expecting it. It surprised us. So one Sunday morning, we were at Lombard Christian Reformed Church, and uh, we're sitting there, and I noticed a woman sitting right behind us who had lost her husband. And uh, she was by herself, so I just turned around and said, oh, would you like to sit with us? And so she moved, and she sat here. I was here, my wife next to me, and it just so happened. We didn't plan this, but next to my wife was another woman who had lost her husband. So here we are seated. Uh, the servant w service went on, and at one point we sang the old hymn, Great is thy faithfulness. And as we sang, 
it became a new song in my heart. And my wife and I, as we reflected on it, we were like, that was powerful. Because what happened? Here I was between two saints of the Lord older than I, who have walked with the Lord longer than I and have experienced trials in life that I had not experienced. And here both of them were singing out, singing out the truths, O God, great is thy faithfulness. And I felt blessed and humbled to be between these great saints of God on that Sunday morning. It was a powerful worship experience And God put a new song in my heart with the old song because I was singing with these women. A new song, a new song. Um, Also, God's presence, God's presence. Many will see and fear, fear of the Lord, and put their trust in the Lord. God is a personal God meaning God is near. Therefore, we can see God's work, we can fear the Lord, or our lives are centered around God, and we can trust in Him. We can have confidence that God is with us. So the presence of God. Uh, What are the discipleship lessons? Uh, I just have two here. First, music. We use music, or can use music, to express faith and build faith. So I want to encourage you even more in your life to use music to express faith and to build faith. You can do this privately, by yourself in your own devotional life. Use music to express and build faith. And then of course, we do this publicly as well. And as we sing publicly to think God wants to put a new song in our heart so that in the situations of life we're in, God can use this music to help us express our faith and to build our faith. And number two, I was thinking about something that's very popular in our culture. This is superpowers, superpowers. And uh, do we have superpowers as Christians? I mean, do I go through life each day, I have a problem, pray, bam, done. I have a cold, pray, cold gone. Oh, I need more money, pray, more money. And throughout the day, I just pray and everything just happens just like this. That doesn't happen. Now, I believe in miracles. I believe in the supernatural work of God. However, God is not a cosmic Santa Claus. We just pray and get everything we want. In God's sovereign wisdom, he does not do that. That is good for us. So we don't have that superpower. But what do we have? We have the superior power of the Holy Spirit within us. We have God's presence. And let me just tell you one of the superior powers that we have because God is present. This is amazing, actually. We may grow uh, used to hearing this, but when it's real in your life, it is amazing and it's powerful. Because of God's presence in our lives, we can have joy and peace in the midst of trials. That's a superior power. That's from God. Through God's power, we can have hopefulness through any situation because of God's presence. That is a superior power with us. My song, God's presence. Second, my trust, 
God's wonderful deeds. So uh, verses four and five talk about trusting in God, and obviously this is based on verses one through three. It's all about trusting in God, having confidence in God's timing and in God's work. In this, uh, these verses, uh, the challenge is do not trust the idols of this world. Don't trust those gods from the surrounding nations that are going to promise, uh, promise rain, promise a good food supply, promise prosperity for you. Do not trust those idols. Instead, speak of God's wonders and his salvation. Speak of God's wonders and his salvation. What are the discipleship lessons for us? First of all, we need to be discerning. We do not have the idols of old tempting us today, but we all know there's contemporary idols. There are things in our world that can tempt us to trust in something else more than God. And we need to be discerning because very often those contemporary idols will just get a little piece of our heart, not that noticeable and then slowly grows. So very important for us to be discerning that our trust for God is first and foremost the most important thing, and then we order other things in our lives all below our trust in God. Be discerning. Uh, Second discipleship lesson, speak of what God has done. Speak of what God has done. Once again, first I challenged Older people to share with younger. Here, everyone, speak what God has done in your life. Speak about it in prayer. As you're praying personally, recall God's salvation history in the Bible. Recall God's work in your life. Speak of that in prayer. And then, of course, speak about it to others, what God has done in your life. As I was reflecting on this, uh, here's an interesting thing about my journey. And I'm not saying this needs to be your journey. We're all on different journeys. But a weird thing about my journey uh, in life is I've never really looked for a job. I mean, I can only think of one instance where I looked for a job, and that was just a, a small little summer thing. I mean, my first job, honestly, my mother found it. She's like, oh, Found a job for you at Valer Cleaners, the cleanup guy. And I was like, okay, yes, mother, but we're going on vacation in two weeks. Oh, don't worry about that. I'll take care of that. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, I won't go into all the stories, but I will say the first day, day and a half of 10th grade Bible, Bible themes, I share the story about how God brought me to Timothy. And I, I, I wasn't looking for it. It, it came to me, and it, for me, it is a deep testimony of God's faithfulness. And I share this with the students to say, even though you're confused about the direction of your life, trust in God's faithfulness. In his time and in his way, he will lead you, sharing the story. Uh, even going to Thailand. This still surprises me that this happened. I was not looking for this. It found me and gripped my heart in an unusual way. And I look to God and say, this whole thing is to God be the glory. It's not because I'm a great guy. It's because I serve a great God. Amen?
Amen. Amen. My trust, God's wonderful deeds. Um, Next, my desire, God's will. My desire, God's will. There's a lot in verses 6 through 8. Let me just say this is hyperbole. Uh, So, for instance, um, it's a sacrifice and an offering you did not desire. Sacrifices and offerings you did not desire. I will just tell you there's a lot in the writings of Moses on sacrifices and offerings. So what's going on here, a hyperbole, is a purposeful exaggeration to make a point. So in the Old Testament, they were to go to the temple, they were to go to the priests and make the sacrifices and the offerings. However, however, if your heart was not for God, who cares? about the sacrifices and offerings. That's not what God ultimately desires. He wants your heart. Now, interesting, this kind of interesting thing here. um, uh, Verse 7, then I said, here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. Um, I desire to do your will. And David wrote this. So it is thought that David was thinking about the words of Moses from the book of Deuteronomy. Here's what it says in Deuteronomy 17, while Israel is wandering in the wilderness. It says this, when you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you and have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, let us set a king over us like the nations around us. Be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. And when he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll, a copy of this law taken from that of the Levitical priest. It is to be with him. He is to read it all the days of his life that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow all the words of the Lord carefully. So David is saying, it is written about me in the scroll, Deuteronomy, when you have a king that the Lord chooses, David was chosen by God to be king, that king better meditate on God's word and follow God's law, follow it with his heart. And so David is writing about, I desire to do your will. Now, discipleship lesson. For our discipleship lesson, we move from King David to King Jesus. And interestingly, the book of Hebrews quotes this psalm, these words, when it talks about Jesus. So, uh, for instance, from Hebrews 10, then he, Jesus, said, here I am, I have come to do your will. Jesus sets aside the first to establish the second. The first covenant to establish the second covenant. By grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves is a work of God so that no one can boast. So, the second covenant that Jesus came. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So Jesus came to do God's will, to not offer the sacrifice, but to be the sacrifice for us. And now in our lives, because Jesus is our Savior, we are not to trust in our religious deeds. Can people do spiritual things with a wrong motive? Of course. People can look all spiritual and holy and do the right quote-unquote Christian thing, and they may be doing that just so that they look good for a certain reputation, 
Maybe it makes them feel good or it makes people around them feel good. And so they do that. And God is saying that kind of religiosity, meaningless. It starts with the heart, a desire and heart for God. And then we go to church, pray, read God's word, and so forth. So my desire, God's will. Uh, next, my words, God's faithfulness, uh, verses 9 through 10. Now, uh, these verses are very similar to the previous points, verses 4 through 5, um, using words to declare God's faithfulness. Um, this is specifically talking about telling other people, like in public, telling other people what God has done. So, uh, two, two, uh, a couple discipleship lessons, two of them. First of all, when you're reading the Bible, what are you looking for? Oh, there's a bunch of things you can be looking for. One thing I would like to highlight is when you read the Bible, you should be thinking, what am I learning about God? What am I learning about God in this passage? So, for instance, verse 10 is like packed with the character of God. Um, I do not, and so in public, David is saying this, I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your salvation, that God is Savior. I do not conceal your love and your truth from the great assembly. Five things right there in one verse. So when you read the Bible, I would encourage you to look for what you are learning about God. And then secondly, Often because we are hesitant, it is important to restate, God wants us to share with others God's good work in our lives. Why am I restating this? Well, the psalmist is restating this. Uh, for all of my time teaching 10th grade Bible, at the end of the course, the students write a paper called My Sacred Journey. And uh, this is a confidential paper just between the students and I. I never share this paper with anyone else. Most of the students, uh, in the course of the outline that I give them, most of the students write about ways in which God has worked in their life. And I will tell you, I feel humbled to read what I consider these sacred words. At the end of every semester, when I am grading, reading these testimonies of faith, I, I, I personally grow in faith. It is, it is rich. And so right now, I want to say to all the students in this room, regardless of how old you are, when you see God working in your life, you need to share it. Share it. It doesn't have to be in a big group. Share it with a parent, a friend, a group of friends. But God wants you to speak this. When you speak it, it's going to grow your faith, and what will it also do? It's going to bless every single person who hears it. My words, God's faithfulness. Uh, next, my sin and trials, God's salvation. Now, at this point in the psalm, we move from... Here is a past trouble to 
Presently, here's what I'm going through. So there's a little shift here. Now we are in the present. And uh, David is in a very intense trial, a tough spot. He used words like troubles without number. I cannot see. My heart fails within me. And he is also very aware of his sin. And so desperately he cries, cries out to God for mercy, God's mercy, and God's love. What are our discipleship lessons here? Uh, First off, God's unchanging character should have a real effect on our lives. That we serve a God with mercy and love should actually affect how we think, our attitude within us, how we feel, how we move forward in life, how we communicate with others. So understanding that God's character is not just something to know, it's something that really, really should affect how we live. And secondly, uh, this second one is AP discipleship, okay? Now, if you're not familiar with school lingo, AP courses are college courses in high school, right? So that means they're extra tough. Okay, so here's the extra tough discipleship thing. And it is, when in trials, repent. We don't instinctively think of that. When in trials, it's poor me, why am I in this, and how can I get out of this? And I'm not against us thinking about how to get out of a trial. This is natural, and this is good. However, God also calls us in the trial to repent of our sin. In fact, interesting, last uh, Sunday night, Dr. Alan Strange was preaching, and uh, he was preaching on this, and he said, oftentimes trials can result in an enticement to sin. This is how he phrased it. Um, So we may not feel like this, but very important because in our weakened state, our state of desperateness and need, we need to do kind of a a, a self-inventory about with our heart. And the point isn't sin trial. I mean, maybe your trial is a result of sin, maybe not. The connection isn't the important part. The important part is that you just repent of your sin. So repent that God is not your greatest desire or not the greatest source of your satisfaction. Repent for a lack of trust in God and just complaining. Repent for not believing in God's unchanging character. Very often, trials and troubles can lead to purification or what we would call sanctification, becoming more holy. And in God's economy, sanctification is more important than a trouble-free life. My sin and trials, God's salvation. And then finally, my weakness and God's strength. My weakness and God's strength. We come to the last verse, still waiting for deliverance. We started with patient waiting, and the words patiently waiting are not here, but it's happening. It's... uh, Let me flip the page. Uh, Is, yet I am poor and needy currently. Oh, Lord, help me. Help me. We can be tempted to look to other gods, other ways to to trust in. And uh, God is saying, in your current trouble, 
Continue, persevere in looking to me. Uh, discipleship lessons. Uh, first, the last line of Psalm 40, may this be your prayer in whatever situation of life you're in. The last line, you are my help and my deliverer. Oh my God, do not delay. This is a statement of trust in God. Oh Lord, you are my help and my deliverer. Oh my God, do not delay. I also uh, think about one of my favorite verses, group of verses that are in the book of Psalms. Uh, and I want to close with this. Uh, Psalm 1. Psalm 1. Blessed are those who do not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight, yes, whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Now, what kind of person is it that delights in God's law and meditates on God's law. That person, and I'm not weird for saying this, it's in the Bible, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. You know, in my mind, one of my goals as a Bible teacher is that my students are a success in life. I wanna be a success coach. And where does prosperity and success start and end in God's kingdom? Delighting in his word, meditating on his word. And today, as we have taken discipleship lessons from God's word, from Isaiah 40, as you apply these discipleship lessons to your life, you are becoming like a strong tree that is prosperous for God and his kingdom. And now, on the other side of the cross from the Old Testament, as disciples of Jesus, that is the path for true prosperity and success in life. It is simply trust in Jesus, follow Jesus, and make Jesus your all in all. Amen. Let's pray. Holy God, in our weakness, you are strong. We pray that you would give us a greater delight for your word, a greater hunger to meditate on your word, and please help us to follow Jesus with abandon. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.